This episode of Decoding TV is brought to you by McDonald's, proudly serving communities since 1965. McDonald's is celebrating their crew members who help everyone feel a sense of community whenever they stop into a Mickey D's. So whether you know that one crew member who always remembers you like your Big Mac with an extra pickle, or the crew member who always greets you in the drive-thru with a warm smile, thank you McDonald's crew members everywhere for making our McDonald's visits even more special. McDonald's, I'm loving it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding TV, a podcast about television. I'm David Chen, and I'm here today with Siddhant Atlaka. Siddhanth, thanks for joining me today, man. How are you doing? Hey, thank you for having me. I'm doing much better than I was last week, which is when I finally got the Rona. Um, everybody, get vaccinated. Indeed, indeed. Well, welcome to this episode of Decoding TV. Uh, and we are here today because, you know, I've been... In the process of turning Decoding Westworld into Decoding TV, and we've tried out a bunch of different things, um, different kind of models of covering TV. And uh, some examples of that I'm just going to throw out there are, um, you know, week by week coverage for shows like Decoding uh, Westworld or for Westworld. Um, but also for The Crown, which is a binge release on, the, on Netflix, we're covering that in batches. We're doing episodes one through three and four through six and so on and so forth. Well, now we have something even more different than that. There is a new show that's debuted on Hulu uh, called Welcome to Chippendales. And we are going to be covering this show, uh, the first two episodes of which have already premiered. We're going to cover the first two episodes, seasons one, episode one and two. An Elegant Exclusive Atmosphere is the name of episode one. And the name of episode two is Four Geniuses. Uh, and then we are going to then come back later on in seven or so weeks and discuss the finale to see if it added up to any, if, you know, if the show was good or any other thoughts of the whole series. So that's, this is a little experiment. We're going to try rather than doing week by week coverage, we're going to try covering it at the beginning and the end of the show. You can find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us decodingtv at gmail.com. Find us on TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram at decoding TV. So, that is the plan for Welcome to Chippendales. Now, why are we covering Welcome to Chippendales? The answer to that question is Siddhartha Laka said, hey, David, I want to cover the show. <laughs> and I'm like, let's figure out a way to do that. Um, and also bring some of your expertise and knowledge to it because Siddhartha is in the process of reading the book on which the show is based. But Siddhartha, why is it that you are interested in this particular story? So I originally thought that because it's on Hulu and Hulu is like Disney owned that this was um, the sequel to the new Rescue Rangers movie, um, but it's mm -hmm. not that Chip and Dale. Oh, what? It's about like it's about like a male. You know, I just club? I just realized that just now when you said it. Okay. Yeah. So what did you think you were watching? I, you know, honestly, I was hoping you could <laughs> tell me today. <laughs> so, um, welcome to Chippendales is the origin story of the. Um, male strip club chain known as Chippendales. Um, it's sort of a, well, a, a big pop culture context thing. Uh, it's sort of like Magic Mike, but it actually happened. Um, and it has a very interesting, like I said, origin story because of one of its founders, Steve Shoman Banerjee, uh, who's played by Kumail Nanjiani uh, on the show. You may know him as Kingo from Eternals. And... Um, well, <clears throat> before we started this episode, um, 
David told me, hey, you know, don't spoil anything from upcoming episodes of the show because only the first two have been released. Yeah. And I won't. And, 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 and Siddharth has, has read the book on which yes. the show is based. And so, you know, very much like Kim Renfro on Cast Kings, like he knows more information than what the show has. So I'm like, hey, if people want to just watch along with the show, don't spoil it. Right. But I will <laughs> at least have to mention the title of the show. Uh, sorry, the, the, the title, title of, of the book. book yes. The title of the book, which is Deadly Dance, The Chippendales Murders. Um, so, again, no spoilers for who is doing the murdering or who is getting murdered. But um, there may be some murder involved at some point in the show. Um, but <laughs> Maybe they're no just talking about a routine on stage that they Maybe do. Maybe they're you talking know? about a group of crows. You never know. Yes. <laughs> but, yes, um, the, the people do die at some point during the show. And yeah. so you and, and I, you know, I don't think that's a big spoiler because when you're watching the credits, it says based on the 2014 book, Deadly Dance, you know, the Chip and Dillsmer. So it's like mm-hmm. if you're watching the show, you will have exposure to that idea. So. But but yes, why why I still don't think I have an answer to the question. So oh, of course. Why why you're interested in this show? Uh, you heard of a little movie called Scarface? I have heard of it. The 1983 yes. Brian mm-hmm. De Palma film Scarface. Mm-hmm. Yes, with Al Pacino as a Cuban immigrant, Tony Montana. Um, the real story of Welcome to Chippendales is what if Scarface but Indian? <laughs> <laughs> so and I, with and with more male strippers, I think is the, a few more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. A few more male strippers. Uh huh. Okay. Um, no, look. So I, I'm an Indian immigrant to the U.S. Steve Banerjee was an Indian immigrant to the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was an immigrant to the U.S. at a time when you didn't have nearly as many Indian, <clears throat> nearly as many Indian immigrants as you do today. Um, so I'm not going to say he paved the path for us. That would be weird. <laughs> but I don't know. I feel like a weird kinship and connection with the guy even though Mm -hmm. he was not great for many reasons (laughs) Uh uh uh-huh uh-huh we'll we'll get into some of why but yeah it's it's just a fascinating story right this was a story i've been interested in for a few years just knowing the origin of chippendales and because it's so it's so sexualized and so raunchy i didn't think that oh yeah an indian guy must have done this because you know Indians until very recently have been a largely conservative culture when it comes to sex. So I found that paradox really interesting. And I started looking into this guy's story a few years ago and I realized, holy shit, there's something here. And there's also been like an explosion of Steve Banerjee related media the last few years. I've Mm -hmm. seen an uptick in articles uh, there is a documentary series on Amazon Prime. There was an ABC 2020 episode on it. Um, and now we finally have the Hulu show. And um, it just seemed like the right time, you know? The time is right for the yeah. Chippendale story. Um, it's, it's Banerjee season, baby. Indeed. I, and I would agree with you. Um, you know, I, I'm obviously not an Indian American, but I'm an, an Asian American, and um, I, I think it's like it would be similarly interesting and weird if it was like an Asian guy that started the Chippendales franchise. It'd be like he's oh, Asian, well, David. Yeah, what I are know. you doing? Sorry. 
Sorry, an East Asian. What are you doing? Like, East, <laughs> it would be similarly weird if an East Asian person yeah. started, right? Like, just, <laughs> just because of just because of how people uh, think about and imagine East Asians in popular culture in America, it's just like, oh, the, you know, you think of East Asians as owning restaurants and laundromats as opposed to starting a male strip uh, club, right? It's mm-hmm. just it's uh, it's kind of an interesting juxtaposition. Uh, a lot of interesting territory to mine, both from a plot and thematic perspective for a story like this. Siddhartha Dlaka has read the book on which this is based. I have not. We have both watched the first two episodes. Uh, we're going to spoil everything from, first, from the first two episodes. We're not going to spoil anything from future episodes that includes anything on the next time on preview or anything in the book. Uh, but Siddhartha, shall we dive into the first two episodes? Talk about what's going on in the show? We shall. Would you like to start with the show, with the book? Yeah, uh, first let's, uh, hear of... a little, let's hear a little clip from the show. Here it comes. A world of luxury right at your fingertips. Sheer opulence. Sheer opulence. You're hardworking, reliable. I want to promote you to general manager. I'm afraid I cannot accept. That was my dream when I got here. But my goals have changed. I have changed. I'm going to start my own business. A strip club for women. Is this some kind of joke? Not at all. I mean, do you like looking at naked dudes? I have something to tell you, Paul. Women get horny. Welcome to Chippendales. I love this place. You need me. You need a choreographer. And I do enjoy a challenge. Cuffs and collars. You are a genius. This could be huge. This could be global. Russia, China, the whole world. Repeat after me. Things are going incredibly well. Things are going incredibly well. And I'm not going to blow it. I'm not going to blow it. That was from the trailer for Welcome to Chippendales on Hulu. We're going to talk about the first two episodes, spoil everything from those episodes. Let's start with this, Sidanth. What did you think of the first two episodes? How do you think the show opens? I'm a little mixed on them because, (coughs) excuse me. Um, I love some of the ways that the story unfolds because it's filled with all these little details that you don't realize are at all significant or important um, until they pay off later. Like things that are very, very small in, in the background almost. Something as simple as Steve Banerjee enjoying a Coke. You don't think that that's going to be like a significant character trait because Coke is like one of the most common drinks in the world. Um, You know, something like the way a stripper takes off his pants becomes a significant plot point later on. So I definitely enjoy some of what it does in the background, if that makes sense. Um, Foreground is a little different. Um, Oh gosh, here we go. Look, I like Kumail as a person. <laughs> I really do. Mm-hmm. Same, same. By the way, same. Yeah. Um, this is where this is where like just criticism gets a bit tricky because again, I've met the guy. His wife, who's the executive producer, follows me on Twitter, so I don't know. She might be listening to this. I think I'm I'm questioning his approach to this role, his approach to this character. Maybe that'll evolve in future episodes, but there's just something about his conception of Steve Banerjee that doesn't sit right. There are things that I think he does that are interesting. His posture, the way he moves through a room. But there's a whole bunch of other stuff that we'll get into that I think makes me question whether or not he was miscast. Because this is a show where a lot of the other characters 
display a lot of interiority, right? Through their dialogue, their movement, yeah. through the way they just glance. Uh, I can't really say I, I can't really say the same um, for the lead character just yet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But as a show, I think it comes together pretty decently so far. All right. Um, some of my thoughts on Welcome to Chippendales episodes one and two. Uh, there are some things I think it does really well. I mean, mm-hmm. this is a show that's the brainchild of Robert Siegel. Um, Robert Siegel, I, I, I believe he directed at least the first episode, po- possibly the second one as well. Am I right about that? No, no, no. I'm sorry. He um, he, uh, he wrote the first wrote two. the first episode, and then it was Matt Shackman who directed the first episode. He's a director of shows like uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia and Game of Thrones, right? And One Division, I believe. And One Division, that's right. Um, uh, Robert Siegel has written The Wrestler um, and The Founder, uh, both great movies, in my opinion. Uh, also, Big Fan. He wrote and directed Big Fan, the Patton Oswalt movie. Um, he was one of the writers and creators behind Pam and Tommy. Pam and Tommy. That show had a ton of style, was super fun. Ultimately, I think, wasn't a great show uh, because of where the plotting ended up. Uh, but certainly, like, very compelling visually, in my opinion. And so I was like, okay, well, there's some great talent behind this. Kumail's behind it. Robert Siegel's behind it. Matt Shackman's behind it. And some things that I think the show does right are, you know, Siddhant, you and I are both immigrants, right? Uh, I am, uh, I, I, my parents moved here when I was three years old. Um, I love a good immigrant story, you know? I'm mm-hmm. just like, I'm a sucker for a good immigrant story of like rags to riches, came up from nothing and built themselves into something. And that's largely the story of what my dad accomplished. I mean, my dad is not, did not become like a wealthy person. But he came here with b- barely any understanding of English and cre- like started a Chinese restaurant, like was a waiter, became a Chinese restaurant owner, and then um, was able to make a better life for my, my whole family. Right. And so like I'm I'm a sucker for those kinds of stories. And I think this show captures the whirlwind trip that that is in a in a fun way. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, the male stripping is like pretty decent. You know, it's like. Hey, you got some good good shows going on. Like you have a good like the dancing is pretty decent for someone such as myself who's a layperson who has no idea about any of this stuff. It's like, oh, that's fun to watch. That's it's fun to it's enjoyable to watch. Obviously, the cast is great in my opinion overall. Uh, love to see Murray Bartlett in things. Uh, he was a huge star from the White Lotus season one. Love to see Dan Stevens in things. Uh, love to see Kumail Nanjiani in things. Um, Love to realize that Dan Stevens is in something. I did not know that that, that was Dan Stevens. I was like, I know that guy from somewhere, but his hair is so different than anything else I've seen him in. Yeah. Um, at, at first, I thought it was Milo Ventimiglia in This Is Us mode. Yeah. So incredible stuff. Um, so that's uh, some of the stuff I liked about Welcome to Chippendales. Here's what I don't like about Welcome to Chippendale so far. Let's get into it. Episodes one and two. Um, I don't think the show is very good. (laughs) (laughs) I I think, and I think it's largely because of the script. And I think it's largely because this script feels like it's checking off like the Wikipedia entry for, you know, 
what happened with the origin of Chippendales. It's like people meet each other in ways that feel very inorganic. Like people show up and it's like, now they're a major character. Oh, we're working together now. Um, you mentioned it about how like we don't get a sense of Steve Banerjee's interiority. I think Kumail is a very talented actor, but he, the character of Steve Banerjee is so far the least interesting character in the show, which yeah. is pretty rough when you're making the show about this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that is not a slight on Kumail. That is a slight on the writing behind Steve Banerjee, which is like, he's very much like kind of stock immigrant character, um, who has, is ambitious and is cheap. That's kind of like the main characteristics of Steve Banerjee. Right. Um, so I feel like we're like fast forwarding past like all these developments and then like all this, st- like stuff happens because it happens because the plot yeah. demands it. Right. Um, and it's very much, it, it reminds me of like a musical biopic, right? Where, <laughs> you know, where people are sitting around writing, you know, um, like, wait, play that song again, you know, Hey Jude. <laughs> and it's like, it's just like, then the, they like, it comes out fully formed. Um, yeah. You know, and, as and to what of it course, is. uh, spoilers for the third episode. There's a scene where they sit down and come up with the rescue Rangers theme song. Chip, 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 wow. chip, chip, and Dale. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, this is going to be a the, joke throughout this episode. I'm not going to let it go until nice you laugh. The be- <laughs> okay, I laughed just now. The, be- the best <laughs> example of this is when Juliet Lewis shows up in episode two and she's like, hire me. I'm really good at this. And then they go, she's like, let me show you. And then she goes back and she, you know, some guy's getting a blowjob and she like t- removes him from the blowjob and <laughs> is like, and is like, it emerges with him like wearing these, sh- pa- these tearaway pants. And I'm like, so did you, did you just bring those to the club every night? Like hoping that, he, you know, she'd get the opportunity to show them off. It's like, it's never explained how she, why she made them, how she got them. It's just, they're basically just fast forwarding past like all the developments that happen here of like how, hey, what if um we ha- we dress everyone in collars like at Playboy Man? You know, it's just like just random shit, just bringing up all the time of like, and that's how it became Chippendales. So I don't like the show very much so far. Uh, so <laughs> and it's very po- it's very possible I'm not going to be back for the finale review when you do it here on Decoding TV in, in seven months. I'll say this um, much: I think some of my enjoyment of the show comes from the fact that, and this is going to blow your mind. Oh, it's so much better than the book. And like, mm. look, the show is, it's fine. The show is okay. But man, oh, that book. Oh. Yeah, it's good. It's a good book. No, no, <laughs> no. Here's the thing. The book has a lot of facts and factoids. And it's interesting that you called uh, the show like a Wikipedia biopic, which I don't entirely disagree with. But man, you read one page of the book and you'll be like, oh, yeah, no, the the show is a huge improvement because it is it is so dry and mechanical in its descriptions of everything and everyone. I it's it's not chronological either, but it doesn't have a structure really. It's like mm-hmm. and this happened and this happened and uh, beforehand this happened and then later this happened, then the next chapter is about someone else and there are a lot of things that are also glossed over in the book that are expanded on in the show, uh, which I have mixed feelings about depending on what we're talking about, because the show is surprisingly light on information for certain characters. Sorry, the book is surprisingly light on information yeah. for certain characters. So a lot of it you know, has to be dramatized for the show. But I think if you've seen the first couple of episodes, you'll actually be surprised by 
what liberties have been taken. Um, if I'm not mistaken, the opening credits say the book is inspired by. Yeah, is right? inspired by true events, I think is how they market it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so inspired by the book, I believe. Um, because this is very clearly, to me as someone who's read the book, it's not a show based on Deadly Dance, the Chippendale spoiler alerts. Mm-hmm. Um, because the whole, okay, so the whole first episode, <clears throat> Dan Stevens' character, Paul Snyder, and uh, Nicola Peltz as uh, Playboy model Dorothy Stratton, they're a huge part of the first episode. They're like the co-leads of the first episode. Yes. In the book, they warrant maybe half a paragraph. Mm-hmm. It's just mentioned, like, they're introduced as people who have died <laughs> in the book. It's like, oh, by the way, you know, there's a story of like a couple of people who died. Yeah. And <laughs> that's it. There's nothing about mm-hmm. how they met Steve and like the extent to which they were involved. Um, except that uh, in the book, like it just mentions that uh, Paul was involved in producing like mud wrestling and that's all. Yeah. I mean, okay. I, I will grant that it might be better than the book. Siddhanth. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but I think like, honestly, you know, when you told me that about um, the two characters, Paul Snyder and, and his girlfriend, um, that they're just basically a footnote in the book. That makes it, that tracks to me. You know, when I watch the show, I'm like, oh, they're barely acknowledged, really. I mean, yes, they're co-leads in the first episode, but like um, when they are tragically murdered at the end of episode one, like, yes, uh, Steve takes a minute to kind of reflect on it, but uh, he it's a, on to the next thing, on to the next thing. So... Yeah, I, I, I'm not. I'm not loving the show's like let's speed run. You know the the creation of Chippendale's approach so far. I agree. Um, I agree with that because the you wouldn't include these characters if you weren't going to you know depict or reference their their deaths. But the thing is, in the book, the context of their deaths is that the in in real life the news referred to Paul Snyder as being involved with Chippendales. And to Steve, that was bad publicity, right? So in real life, his response was, oh no, that's bad publicity, you know? Um, And what's weird is the show in the second episode, after these two characters have been murdered, it does depict him navigating publicity. Mm -hmm. It depicts him, you know... Um, stoking calling, a controversy with uh, yeah. religious people, right? Yeah, basically calling a church, sort of shadow organizing a protest, kind of, uh, and then calling the news. And it's all to drum up good publicity. But it has no connection to the murders, beca- uh, the murder-suicide, sorry, because it's like no one in the news, whether it's on that radio broadcast he's listening to in the newspaper he's reading, no one in the news ties them to Chippendales. And so I think something weird that's happening with this show is a sanitization of Steve Banerjee, Mm -hmm. um, taking away the most messed up aspects of him as a person. And then what you're left with is almost nothing. Um, Yeah. Because... um, I I will say, like, overall, the show feels like it's pretty favorable and sympathetic to Steve Banerjee. Like... 
Which know? is strange. And this, this of course, ways to do that with, you know, a guy who sucks. You can do that. Right. Yeah. Um, but he doesn't seem like he sucks so far no. <laughs> in the show. Right. And, and I think the weirdest thing about the show, um, and since we're not going in any kind of order, I can skip forward to the second yeah. episode. We've That's already fine. talked about it. Is the character of Otis, played by Quindon Player, uh, who's the, the black dancer at Chippendales. So there's this one exchange when he's first hired where Steve uh, goes to the choreographer, Nick, and says he's black. And then, you know, Nick is like, is that going to be a problem? He's like, no, people are going to love it. And then, you know, he becomes this prominent character and get, you know, um, uh, Steve takes him under his wing. And uh, by the end of the second episode, he's a fairly important part of Chippendales. The, the one of the main things we know about Steve Banerjee as a person, he was a huge racist. Mm-hmm. He hated black people. That is one of the few things that we really do know about the guy. And mm-hmm. look, you know, maybe things will change going forward in the show. Um, but yeah, so this Otis character is not based on anyone. He's not even like an amalgam of multiple people. He's just kind of plucked out of thin air. Um, and whatever the reasons are for that, the result of the way he ends up playing into the show is, all right, Steve's a nice guy. He has a a black friend who he's mentoring. Whereas, like, the real Steve Banerjee would stop black people from entering his club mm-hmm. and would make sure, like, maybe 1% of the dancers throughout the history of Chippendale's were black until he was sued. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it's it's a weird sort of sanitization. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's one of the more interesting things about him as like one of those immigrant paradoxes. Like, you know, you are the newest member of the club. You are the newest member of, you know, um, America. This was uh, when you had an initial wave of Indian immigrants. And, you know, your stepping stone to success is on other people's backs and you end up like, you know, hating other minorities and stuff. This is not an, it's not a secret. This is a thing that happens. It's also, again, like I said, one of the most interesting paradoxical things about him. Yeah. And it seems like a huge missed opportunity, you know, but I I wonder, we have no idea what happened in the making of the show. Like Mm -hmm. um, I have to imagine Robert Siegel and everyone knew about Steve Banerjee's racism. And at some point along the line, whether Robert Siegel writing it, Kumal playing it, they're like, Hey, Let's take this part out because it's uh, Kumail doesn't want to play someone who's virulently racist, you know, like um, and that's totally his prerogative. I, I don't know if that's what happened, but like something happened to cut it out of the show. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's obviously their prerogative, but it does make the story less interesting. And, and as you said, it files it down to, to, to the point where, like, I literally have very few characteristics I could use to describe Steve Banerjee at this point, other yeah. than he's enterprising and good at business. He's good at making business, you know, like that's, that's all I know about him. Um, yeah, there's this, there's this very binary aspect to him that I think is also strange. And, and you know, we, we, we get this thing of like people making fun of his name, uh, which is written as Soman, but in Bengali is pronounced Shoman. Um, and then, you know, he's washing his uniform when like some racist piece of shit throws beer at him and you see that it's you see him like trying to like scrub off his name off his own like uniform yeah. when he's working at the gas station. I'm like, that's an, in- that's interesting imagery. But, and then after that, he goes by Steve Banerjee and, um, you know, again, things could change going forward in the show, but 
the real Steve Banerjee didn't just go by Steve Banerjee. He went by Steve Showman Banerjee. And there is a very interesting speculation in the book that his name, Showman, one of the reasons he may have kept it is because it sounds like S-H-O-W-M-A-N. Yeah. And he has this, you know, sort of theatricality to him. Um when it comes to the show, like that's more theoretical, really. But um and just the fact that he keeps both these names, his adopted name and his, you know, given name, again, speaks to this, you know, sort of cultural paradox. Like this is who he is, who he was, who he's trying to be. Um but I don't know, it just becomes this very binary thing, like, oh, I've assimilated. I'm trying to assimilate. Yeah. Right, right. Like even the decision to use the name Steve is not given any real thought in the show in my opinion like they don't they obviously have that opening scene at the gas station but there's nothing else there like there's i, I don't believe there's a, a real follow-up well i actually um, do like the, the first time you see him like suiting up you have the intro to the six million dollar man mm-hmm. um playing in the background and the character's name is steve austin mm. so maybe that was part of the inspiration well uh we talked about how the main character in the show is really good at making the business and uh, I, you know, it reminds me of the fact that this episode of Decoding TV is brought to you by McDonald's, proudly serving communities since 1965. Uh, McDonald's is able to make great business as well uh, because of their incredible crew members. Uh, and that's why I'm really proud and excited for Decoding TV to partner with McDonald's because they truly care about fostering a sense of community. Uh, as I mentioned, one of the biggest ways they do that is through their incredible crew members who work hard to truly make you feel like you're right at home. When you stop into a McDonald's, sit down. I have a McDonald's right down the street. I really enjoy going down there, especially when I've had a long day of podcasting. And I'm always greeted with a friendly smile. I always get my food really fast and it's always delicious. Um, and so I'm really appreciative of the fact that McDonald's fosters community through their crew members. Uh, it's something I like to do here on Decoding TV, bring up uh, large communities of TV lovers. And uh, I'm grateful to be able to do it with hosts such as yourself. But oh, thank you. Whether you know that one crew member who always remembers that you like your Big Mac with an extra pickle or the crew member who always greets you in the drive-thru with a warm smile, thank you to McDonald's crew members everywhere for making our McDonald's visits even more special. McDonald's, I'm loving it. All right. Let's move on. Let's let's talk a little bit about kind of the plot of each episode, right? In the first episode of the show, uh, Steve Showman Banerjee is working at a gas station uh, it seems like it's not in a great area of town, but we find out that he saved up $44,000 after five years. Um, he saved up 90% of his money. All he does is sleep and work. Uh, now, uh, I'm, I'm curious, like, uh, where do the taxes go on that, uh, money that he made? Siddhanth, I'm curious about that. Um, but he's probably getting paid in cash. Yeah. He's probably getting paid under yeah. the table anyway. Yeah. I don't know he, what visa he would, he came to the U S on. I'd have to mm-hmm. look into that. He doesn't want to. Work at a gas station. He doesn't want to. He doesn't want to run a gas station or manage them. He wants to start a backgammon club, and he names it Destiny Two because it will imply that it's a sequel, and sequels mean that it was successful. Um, the backgammon club doesn't go very well, but one day uh, Paul Snyder and Dorothy Stratton, played by Dan Stevens and Nicola Peltz Beckham, walk in, uh, and Paul says, "Hey, I'm going to help you promote this thing," uh, and he they try. A lot of he's actually not very good at promoting things, but they try different permutations of the club, mud wrestling and bingo and other things, not bingo, but you know, um, 
there's a cool montage where they try these different things and uh, oyster eating contest, which is one of the most disgusting things I've ever heard. Then they go to a gay nightclub and Banerjee witnesses uh, women looking at a uh, male stripper. Like I, I think uh, it was uh, it's um, what's her name looking at the male stripper. Um, Dorothy. Dorothy looking at the male stripper and it's like, oh my gosh, women would pay money for this. And so that's when um, they decide to try uh, male stripping as the thing that draws people to uh, the club. And things seem to go pretty well. I think it's still in episode one when they like Nick Denoye shows up, played by Murray Bartlett. And he says, your dance routine sucks. It's a, it's a crass spectacle. So they hire him to do choreography for uh, the the club and uh and then eventually nick and paul come to loggerheads and paul decides to do a murder suicide because his masculinity has been in, in, impugned um, by peter bogdanovich indeed peter bogdanovich <laughs> the most masculine of them all yeah that's also um, part of the book by the way peter bogdanovich mm-hmm. I mean, peter bogdanovich is still alive if i'm not mistaken right yeah I'm curious, like, what he, like, you know, <laughs> what his person, like, what, I'm sure he's, like, just living his life, you know. Uh, oh, actually, yeah, yeah, he's, no, he, he passed away this year. I apologize. Oh, yeah, he uh, did. Peter Bogdanovich passed away this year. But anyway, um, it's like, dude, why did you kind of drag Peter Bogdanovich into this, is kind of, it was my reaction. To this. <laughs> anyway. Um, so, that's like largely the plot of episode one is like they're building up the club. And like I said, if, if the way I described it made it sound extremely like I just sped right through it, that's kind of what the show style is too. It's like this happened and then this happened and this happened and this happened, you know, like that's kind of how it feels to me is not like necessarily like one event leads to another. Um, the, the, the Nick Denoya intro is a great example where like Nick Denoya walks in and he's like, I had to see what my competition was. And it's very theatrical and ridiculous. And I asked you, like, how did Nick Denoya meet uh, Banerjee in the first, in like, in reality? And you had an answer for that, right? Yeah. So uh, in reality, he did actually, you know, end up at um, an earlier iteration of the club one night, which was when the mud wrestling was happening. And he was sort of disgusted by it. And he was like, ah, this, this is, this sucks or whatever. And he walked out. And then uh, it was, I, I believe, a couple of months down the line uh, that one of Banerjee's associates like got back in touch with him to like do some choreography. So obviously, you know, things have been changed around for the show a little bit. Um, you know, some of it expanded, some of it streamlined, um, because th- these details of how you know these people met each other and what their backgrounds were, like they're clear for some people, like for Steve and for Nick, but. Like I said, um, Dorothy and Paul just sort of footnotes, and there are other characters we get to uh, Denise and Irene, who we'll talk about them in a second. But basically, a lot has been invented for the show, and I understand why. But also, it doesn't feel it doesn't always feel substantial enough. Mm-hmm. Like you said, it feels it feels like a speed run, and I think also one of the fallouts of that is that the actual stripping part of it doesn't get enough attention. And I don't mean screen time. I mean, like, aesthetic attention. Because, you know, gaze and allure and sexuality, and that's gaze as in G-A-Z-E. Like, it is such a big part of, 
you know, conceptually, it's a big part of Chippendales. It's a big part of the perspective of the characters. It's their business. It's their bread and butter. But the stripping just kind of feels like a thing that's happening. Like, it could be a magic show and it would be shot, like, pretty much the same way. Um, there's nothing... There's nothing about it that would make me... Let's say... Okay, so there's nothing about it that would make me recommend the show to people in terms of it, like, being... a like a titillating show or a show that has any perspective on feminine sexuality or, you know, uh, just the bodies of these men. It's very plain in that sense, even though they are, you know, mostly naked. It's just kind of presented at a distance for the most part, like minus the odd close up of a butt, like when someone is, you know, uh, putting bills into like a, a G string. Um but that's about it. Like, it's it's no Magic Mike. And in fact, the first Magic Mike actually also does the Scarface part better as well, as well as the male stripping. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I was a little bit disappointed at that that part. Like, uh, th- there's a scene where uh, the, the first night of the stripping and they just bring out a bunch. It's like, there's a fun scene where they go and recruit strippers in, in the park that are like, working out and that's funny but then like cut to it's the opening night of the strip club and then all the guys walk out and they just start stripping and that's it yeah and it's like well what happened what happened like there's so many things that are interesting about how you'd even get that together and like it's all these different people of all you know and that's the things like magic what magic mike explores everyone is different they have different personalities they come from different backgrounds the show starts to get into that with Nick Denoya coming in, but it was just like, it just felt like it's fast forwarding past like a bunch of stuff. But to, to, yeah. to your point, it's like, what is the show even about is the question, mm-hmm. right? That's, I, and I still don't have a good sense after two episodes into the eight episode miniseries of like, yeah. what, what is it even about? Is it about um, how intoxicating it is to like the American, how intoxicating the American dream is and uh, how, how people will do anything to achieve it. Is it about, you know greed and lust for power and what you know what's going to happen to somebody who's destroyed by those things is it about uh you know you know the the female gaze in a male strip club environment like i have no idea what it's about at this point now to be fair it still has six more episodes to make that point but like so far i i am not i have no idea where it's going and i don't think it said anything substantive yet um so you're right about that. And another thing that surprised me about the show is not who and what we see, but who and what we don't see. Um, not getting into spoiler territory right now, but um, at some point in the show, you will have uh, a character named Ray, played by Robin de Jesus. Uh, you may have seen him in the movie Tick, Tick, Boom. A lot of the book revolves around this person. Um, and so I was surprised that, you know, he wasn't, that he isn't a big part of the show from the beginning. Um, again, with the caveat that that could change. But uh, I do think if the show finds its heart and soul, it may have to do with this character, I'm hoping. Um, maybe that's wishful thinking. I guess we'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, but so far, it, it's been a lot of you know, sanding down, whitewashing, not not necessarily in the racial sense, but uh, in the racism sense, you you, mm-hmm. you get what I'm saying. Um, but yeah, and, and, and I mean, my sense, you know, you, you, you actually ask me, okay, can we play a clip of, of Banerjee actually talking? 
mm-hmm. on on this episode. I don't know when you wanted me to do that. Um, oh yeah, we we, but, we can get to that in a second. Well, well, I was just gonna actually, it was like it was from a 2020 documentary, and I was watching the 2020 documentary, and it's like very not complimentary of Banerjee, you know? Yeah, yeah. and it's like. But like, I don't really think we get that sense even from these two episodes. Like, we get a sense that maybe he's a little bit difficult to work with. Um, but it, all of Banerjee's actions felt reasonable, and in fact, to the extent that they're unreasonable, it's because he's too trusting of people. <laughs> he's like, yeah, okay, fine, I'll hire you. It's like, okay, dude, this is—I don't believe this is how these hires got made. Maybe they were. I don't know. But anyway, um, but it's very yeah, flattening. It's the show is very flattening of Banerjee, and I, I think mm-hmm. that's a bummer. So. Uh, I was I was just going to say that, yes, to your point that it feels like a sort of Wikipedia checklist thing. When it comes to biopics post-2010, I, I look at how they approach what I call the relationship status moment in, mm-hmm. so, in the social network. When Mark Zuckerberg comes up with the idea for the relationship status thing, mm-hmm. it's a big moment, because not just because like, this is a wow. thing we recognize. That is a, that is a deep cut. That is a deep cut. But you're talking about the scene of the social network when Mark Zuckerberg, played by Jesse Eisenberg, figures out that on his site, Facebook, or the Facebook, yeah. um, he should allow users to set up their relationship status. And there's a moment in the movie where he's like, this is the key to the whole thing. Because if people know each other's relationship status, then they know who they are. Like, they want to sleep with basically right like and they yeah, and, and and they know what their options are right and so yes yeah. if you ask me it's a hugely effective moment because the whole movie is about the way people relate to one another the way people communicate and he finally touches on like okay this is a huge part of communication this is where the subtext of most communication lies and i feel like consciously or subconsciously Almost every biopic based on something modern, some product, something or the other, tries to do things like that without really giving it emotional weight or without finding emotional weight. You take the um, the biopic Jobs, the one with Ashton Kutcher, not mm-hmm. the Michael Fassbender one. Yeah, It does the relationship status moment ad nauseum. Every five minutes, it's like... <gasps> The computers should have different colors. Or right, right. The iPod should have a click wheel. And a lot of biopics about modern figures who we're all familiar with tend to do these things. And I feel like Welcome to Chippendales also does that thing where it's like, that thing you recognize, here it is. Yeah, here's how um, we came up with it. And it came in yeah. a flash of inspiration. And it's like, yeah. but that's generally not how these things happen in real yeah. life, I, I, I think. You know? Yeah, and and you know, I get it. You want to dramatize it, you want to compress it, you want to streamline it. But if you don't, if you don't ground it in something emotional, intellectual, thematic, it's not going to work. It's just going to be, like you said, a checklist. Yeah. And um, all right, episode two. Oh, go ahead. What's up? No, go ahead. I was going to move on to episode two. Yeah, episode two. So episode two, entitled Four Geniuses." Uh, there's a scene where Steve learns about Paul and Dorothy's murder suicide and he gets a case of the sads uh he eats at an indian restaurant and he there's this this was like the one of the most interesting scenes in the in the two episodes was like he eats alone and he sees like a group of uh indian gas station workers and he's kind of like that was my old life 
now I'm in the life of murder suicides, you know, like, <laughs> but that, that was my old, that was my old life. I'm longing for that life. And it's like, but you, again, you don't, you don't know what he's thinking in that moment. Right. Yeah. Is and he feeling cricket too, which, which I found touching. <laughs> mm-hmm. But is he feeling like regretful? Is he feeling mournful? Is he like being like, Oh, I'm so glad I'm not doing that anymore. You know, like it's not, it's not clear to me personally. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, we see Nick getting divorced. Uh, it, it's clear that Nick Denoya was married to a woman, but he is at least bi, right? Because he's seen um, having sex with people in bathrooms and and so on. Yeah, and, and eyeing, a, eyeing a male lawyer there. Yeah, yeah, he's widely believed to have been gay, and um, the book is a, a lot more speculative about it. Uh, but there are other sources from which I think the show seems to have drawn as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Steve tries to get Nick to consult again, and Nick's like, you really need someone full-time. This is a cool scene. I actually like this part where he's like, look, you need consistent. You need a consistent stream of excellent product. And that, that makes a lot of sense. It's like, oh, yeah. It's times like this when the show actually feels like somewhat organic in terms of how it's bringing these things mm-hmm. up. So like that's like a f- somewhat organic scene. A-, a scene that's not organic is like um, Steve's girlfriend being like, "Hey, we should wear. They should all wear collars, like in the Playboy Mansion." It's like, okay, when did you think that up? Like, why is now the right time to introduce that? You know, and it's to it's to allow the audience to be like, "Oh, I recognize that." And that's when the moment it happened. And it's like, "Okay, I think you're right. That's another relationship status moment." I don't <laughs> I don't think relationship status moment is going to catch on as a term, but I like the the concept of it. <laughs> Thank you. So maybe, I, I, maybe I'm going to keep using it. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. We'll have to remind people what that means in the future. Um <laughs> That's okay as long as it like I'll just make it my thing. Nobody else can have it. There's a scene with Otis, like Otis is one of the guys who is a is a great dancer. He's black. Um, there's this kiss and tip scene that's actually genuinely uncomfortable where like mm-hmm. a, to- a ton of like mostly white women are groping this black male. And you can tell afterwards he talks about it. He's like uncomfortable with it. I'm assuming this is going to pave the way for more conflict and drama around how the male strippers are treated. Um, and potentially open the door for race issues to be discussed. We'll see. Uh, but yeah, uh, th- th- that is, uh, and then also Otis gets taken under Steve's wing. That's another thing we should, we should mention. Um, Ch- at Chippendales, basically they, they like go through a bunch of like product development. There's the callers. There's, you know, Steve meets his new girlfriend where, um, and she makes a bunch of suggestions about like, uh, using ice scoops that are bigger so they have more ice so you spend less money on alcohol and uh, maybe we should invite men back to the hotel afterwards things like or back to the uh, back to the bar after the stripping is done that kind of stuff um, and so we get a kind of sense of how the thing improves and why Steve might like this woman because they are both good at the business um, and that's most of episode two you know there's there's yeah so any any thoughts on any of episodes two developments? Yeah, the character of Irene, played by Annalie Ashford, she slots in really neatly into everything. You know, both as an idea person, like she's exactly what Chippendales needs as like a former bartender and an accountant. Um, she has a background that has a lot of mirrors to Steve's background. But the thing is, like. All that is, you know, spun completely out of thin air because very little was actually known 
about Irene. Um, like, so, so all of this, like, you know, her, her background, where she comes from, all of that is invented by the show because, you know, at some point you, you have to take liberties when there's not much that's publicly available, but it just feels awfully neat and convenient that she just slots into wherever the plot needs her. So again, she feels less like a person and more like a plot device at times. Um, yeah. In terms of representation, though, it was cool to see Kumail like dating this woman. It looked like it was in, at an Indian restaurant, right? Um, and I realized, like, oh, I, it's very rare that I see like a courtship with these uh, genders and these races on. Oh on screen. no, it's it's more common than you think. The 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 South Asian man white woman thing is a very heavily criticized thing because of how common it actually is. How, no, 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 no. I'm say, but I'm saying, like, in, on on screen, is yeah, it? Is it that? Yes, on screen. Like, where, where, where? Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Like, I mean, obviously, in the big sick, it was a big deal, right? But yeah. I don't know. But, I guess I just don't feel like it's. I see it that. All, I, I I know when it happens, it is the South Asian man and white woman, and that yeah. is a that is an issue. But like, I guess I guess I don't think it happens that often, like in general, right? Um. I mean, you tell me what what what, what am I what media am I missing where this has happened? You tell me. Well, there's Master of None. There's the Big Sick. There's a whole bunch of stuff in the early 2010s where, um, look, I personally like. I don't think it's a problem in and of itself. It's right. just that it's just that. But maybe maybe because I like and I, I clock it a lot. Right. Or, or I retain it a lot more because it's like me South Asian. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, look, it's not it's not a thing that doesn't happen in real life, right? Uh, but right. It, it is it is unfor- it is in media. It's more common than you might realize. <laughs> okay, no, that's uh, that's that's fair. Okay, I guess I'm just uh, then then maybe it wasn't good representation. You know, like, I, I guess I guess I'm just saying. I, you, you don't know, have. <laughs> I should have said anything. This yeah, is not for even me, a I guess I just don't. I don't. I don't feel I see it that often. So I thought fair it enough. was like you know it's cool to see. But if you if you're like nope, I've already seen a hundred instances of it this year. Yeah, like, screw okay, you, David. All right, fine. You don't know my struggle. I, I retract. I retract my <laughs> praise of uh, of the representation of the show. Um, but yeah, uh, so this character that she plays is like very, um, uh, catch all purpose, basically of like serving a bunch of different plot purposes at once, I think. Right. But again, not very much. We get a little bit of her background and we understand like kind of vaguely why they might be into each other, but that's about it. Um, yeah. And, um, and then you also have the character Denise played by Juliette Lewis, uh, who I think is is very interesting. No, again, not not based on any one person. She might be more of an amalgam. Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, very plot purposey. But I like the fact that you can instantly tell that she like comes off as a climber. Uh, so there are mm-hmm. certain performances on the show, like Juliet Lewis's performance, and especially Murray Bartlett, where you know, you just know what they're thinking at any point without them even opening their mouths. And so I think they're the ones who, for me, make the show interesting. Well, uh, that's one of the you can things tell I... what they want. That's one of the things I like about the show is, you know, uh, my co-host on the film cast, Jeff Kanata, was talking about how he didn't like living in L.A. And I asked him why he didn't like living in L.A. that much. And he said, when you're at a party with people, the other people are always trying to figure out who else is at the party, you know. And I think there's a, I think this takes place in L.A., right? This show? Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's a very like show business atmosphere where everyone's trying to pretend like there's something they're not. Paul Snyder's trying to pretend like he's um, a huge big time club promoter. And 
uh, Nick Denoy is trying to pretend like he's like super in demand and like I couldn't possibly participate in this thing that's mm-hmm. way under me. You know, like everyone's always rep- representing something that they're not. And and also like there's disagreements among the workers. And and I, I do appreciate that part of the show as well. It like captures that, hey, it's difficult to run an enterprise like this where you have a lot of different personalities, right? Um, so those are some things I actually like. About the, I should have I should have included those things up top, but those are things that I did appreciate about the show. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, I like how it's, everyone's just kind of like lying through their teeth about who they are. You know, that's kind of a, a thing that I think the show does a good job of capturing. So, yeah, and that's also I think it's one of the very few things the book really manages to get across in any kind of meaningful way. That yeah, these are sort of you know two faced people who like manipulate each other to get what they want. Um, even though in the book it's more so uh, about Steve than it is about anyone else, and that you don't get mm-hmm. that sense in the show. Yeah, um, yeah, that's yeah. right. He he but, seemed, he's like one of the more virtuous characters in the show so far, yeah. right? So before we move on, could I could I just mention a couple more things from the book that I, I'm sorry, I just I really hate this book. I it see. is. I, I, I would love. <laughs> I would love if you did now. Now, does this have to do with the notes you put at the top of the of the doc? Or yeah, I'm going to leave one of them out just because it may be like spoilery, kind of. Um, oh, I, I mean, I I kind of want to read these notes, uh, Siddhanth, oh. because <laughs> because they're excellent. So Siddhanth Adlaka okay. has put at the top of the page. Don't read the third show. one. Don't read the third one. I'll tell you why. Okay. 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 Fine. Um, but. Uh, Siddharth wrote that. He's like, hey, I, he told me, hey, I wrote some notes, David Chen, and um, don't worry. These are going to make sense when we record the podcast, okay? I'm going to read you what he wrote <laughs> down, okay? Here's what I'm reading you the exact words. He says, quote, arsonist arranger, OJ, decade later, end quote. That's what he wrote down. So, and I wanted to read the third one because it was like, that's a, it's basically a haiku. Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh it almost yeah. is but okay uh, get... anyway so what is arsonist arranger what is oj decade later why did you want to talk about them in our conversation about welcome to chavendales so i guess this is mildly spoilery but like not in a meaningful way there's you know arson comes up at some point i guess it's like it's not as bad as murder i guess so i don't know if <laughs> like so it's not it shouldn't really be surprising okay. at some point an arson may or may not play into the show let's put it that yeah way. okay yeah and the, the book just has really horrible prose and at one point it refers to like this one character as the arsonist arranger um and like it's a character whose name we know and everything it's not like a pseudonym mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. Oh, so you know, so and so called so and so, comma the arsonist arranger, comma and told him, um, and that's like not his job or anything. He just happens to arrange an arson at one point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's another who, one where, yeah, who who would want to be defined by one action? You know, Sidov doesn't want to be known as the decoding TV co-host. You know, that would be of ridiculous. I do. Excuse me. <laughs> of course I do. <laughs> Wait. All right. So the OJ thing. Um, I think it's a scene where Steve is at lunch with someone. It's somewhere in LA. It's this is a you know somewhere in the mid eighties. Mm-hmm. Uh, so almost a decade after when like the show opens, right? So the context of it doesn't matter. We'll get to it. When, but like the author just randomly like while describing where they are says, "Oh yeah," and a decade later. O.J. Simpson would murder his wife and the waiter she was sleeping with and then just goes back to describing the restaurant. It's like, where? <laughs> what? At Was it at this restaurant? Were you mentioning it just because it happened in L.A.? 
What? Maybe maybe it was like maybe it's a decade later to the day, perhaps. Maybe. Right. Maybe. But um, but I think okay. So the third one, you you've read this sentence, right? This is this. I pulled like a full sentence here. Mm-hmm. So this okay, has to. So, be, so, so, are you going to read the sentence? Gonna I, read I'm going to read the sentence. Okay, cool. Uh, cool. A little bit of context. So um, minor spoilers, I guess. That at some point, you know, Steve gets worried about competition. Oh no, there's other clubs coming up. I don't want them to succeed, right? And um, at one point, one of these clubs is called Pearl Harbor, right? And uh, so there's a couple of preceding sentences to the one I'm about to read where he's like, oh, yeah, where the book says, oh, yeah, something, something. And there was this club called Pearl Harbor. And, you know, like so-and-so told Steve not to worry about it. And then the writer, the writers of the book write, even so, like the Japanese in 1941, Pearl Harbor was Steve's prime target. (laughs) Wow. You see what I had to go through? <laughs> you see what I had to go through, David Chen? Well, thank you for your sacrifice, Adon. You're welcome. I appreciate it. But back to the show. <laughs> one thing the book one thing the book does well is it does give you a sense of who Steve Banerjee is, which the show mm-hmm. hasn't really done so far. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think, yes, like you said, part of that is down to the writing. I would say a big mm-hmm. part of it is also down to the performance, mm-hmm. right? Kumail seems to have his own, you know, interpretation of how to do this as well. Um, and some of it comes down to how he sounds. And I don't just mean his accent, mm-hmm. right? Which which I'll talk about in a second as well. It's just that Steve Banerjee had a certain aura about him. And, mm-hmm. you know, maybe we'll build up to this other version of Steve Banerjee. Mm-hmm. There's still a lot of time to go, I think. I don't think the the show is all set in the seventies. Um, anyway, play play the clip. All right, here's a clip from I think this is a 2020 documentary about Chippendales. Yes. What does Steve Banerjee do with all his money, all this newfound wealth? I wonder half of the time that when I you know when I write my checks, what happened to the money I made the last month? It just goes back into business. So, the thing about Steve Banerjee, the real Steve Banerjee, he had this sort of faux suaveness about him mm-hmm. that really told you the kind of image he was trying to project. And again, I will I will give Kumail and the show the benefit the benefit of doubt. You know, it's still the first two episodes out of eight. But I think there are certain things that I think could have and perhaps should have been done differently. And one is the way Steve sounds. And part of that is the aura he projects, the sort of, you know, snaky kind of, you know, oily, like, I don't trust this guy kind of thing that he has going on. Like, where you listen to him talk, and it's like, oh, this guy's, like, really full of himself. You know, he's he's really up his own ass. In real in real life, right? Yeah, in real life. Yeah. yeah. Whereas, you know, Kamel's depiction is much more stiff and straightforward. Um. But the other thing is specifically the accent. And I think this is where, like, regardless of where the show goes, as a starting point, it just feels a bit off to me. And so, like with relationship status, I'm going to, you know, use my own phrasing here. Accents, especially when it comes to people who immigrate and assimilate, have a directionality to them. 
They start in one place and they move into another place. Mm-hmm. Because an accent for a lot of immigrants doesn't just tell you where they're from. It tells you where they're going. It tells you how they want to be perceived, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, the degree to which they've assimilated and so on and so forth. Um, just to give you a parallel example, there's this Netflix show, uh, Inventing Anna, which is about the um, the fake heiress and con woman, um, Anna Delvey, right? And it's a pretty fun show. Uh, it came out earlier this year. And Julia Garner, who's an American actress, I believe, yes, uh, plays Anna Delvey. So the real Anna Delvey was born and initially raised in... Russia and then lived a significant portion of her life in Germany before moving mm-hmm. to the US. And Julia Garner sounds like someone who started off in Russia and spent a lot of time in Germany. That is, you know, the accent that her character, her conception of Anna Delvey has. And you may have, if you haven't seen the show, you may have seen like viral clips, you know, floating around um, the way she speaks. But if you listen to the real Anna Delvey, her, the way she spoke is much more Americanized and she has like this mm-hmm. almost valley girl intonation. Mm-hmm. And that says so much more about her than any version of her that sounds Russian and German because she was someone who was desperately trying to break into the American celebrity scene. She wanted to be part of this, you know, Hollywood allure and this, you know, it's American elite. That is a huge part of her story. And so the way she sounds in real life tells you that about her. Uh, The show's version doesn't. The show's version just tells you this is where she was from. And I think similarly with Kumail in Welcome to Chippendales, his accent tells you, yeah, this guy is from India. But the real Steve Banerjee, if you listen to him, right? And he sounds like a lot of people I know. And what, what the real Steve Banerjee's accent tells you is, this guy is from India, but has been here a while, so his pattern of speaking has changed. And the delivery of some of the things he says also tell you, like it also tells you, like this guy wants to be very suave, mm-hmm. right? And like I keep saying, maybe that'll change going forward a little bit. But you know, Kumel, in reality, uh, his accent is a lot more Americanized, right? Because he's been here, you know, since he was a teenager. Uh, So in order to play this version of Steve, the quote-unquote direction of his accent, again, this is a thing I'm making up. I don't know if it's a a real thing, but it's just my perception of it. He is, you know, Indianizing it a lot more, right? So he is trying to sound much more Indian. Whereas the real Steve Banerjee was an Indian trying to sound a little more American, mm-hmm. right? So it's, I, I mean, it's, it's difficult for an American to play an Indian person trying to sound American. That's difficult, right? But that's kind of what you were hoping for, for this depiction. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say it's, I don't think it's impossible. Because again, like, I, I think Kumail in real life sounds a lot more like the real Steve Banerjee mm-hmm, than mm-hmm. his version of Steve Banerjee does. And like, let me give you some examples. Like I'm, okay, I'm from, I'm from Mumbai, same as Westy Banerjee was from. So, and you know, obviously my accent has changed in the 13 years that I've been here, but um, like when I go back home, I'll talk a little more like this, right? Like I'm from, 
hi, I'm from Mumbai, you know, previously called Bombay, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I, I hate to do this, but like, okay, if I was playing Steve Banerjee, right? I wouldn't necessarily talk like this. Maybe I talk a little more like this. Mm-hmm. I would Americanize a little bit in a very specific way that mm-hmm. a lot of Indians, mm-hmm. the O's become R's, the T's become T's, the D's mm-hmm. become D's. And because that then tells you that, all right, I've, you know, I'm from India, but I've been here long enough that I'm, you know, I, I consider myself sort of like, sort of like a playboy. And like, it's not just about the pronunciation. It's about the way he carries himself too. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that, I would say, that's I would a lot say more like way, the real Steve Banerjee. Yeah. And I would say the way um, Kumail carries Banerjee in the show is very stiff and yeah. like, um, straight laced and, you know, I'm doing everything by the book kind of, I'm doing everything by the book because I've read it in a book kind yeah. of scenario. We'll see how it evolves, but yeah. it doesn't, it hasn't changed that much in the first two episodes. So I'm not really optimistic yeah. it's going to change that much in future episodes. So the, 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 the indicator that I always go to for something like this is how do they say dollars? Cause mm-hmm. if, the word dollars, cause if he's saying dollars, he's playing an Indian in India. But if someone says dollars, He's playing an Indian in America. Mm. Fascinating. All right. Well, we will see how Kumail says dollars <laughs> moving forward. All right. Uh, thank you for sharing this, Sanant. This is very fascinating. I appreciate hearing that from you. So uh, anything else about the first two episodes? It's not, it's not awful or anything like that, but it's just like there's nothing in this that I'm like, oh, I got to keep I got to keep watching, you know, because just because. I do think that the first two episodes for me squandered a lot of goodwill. Like I'm inclined to be into a story like this and the way it went through these developments so quickly um, really didn't make me, didn't inspire a lot of confidence. That said, uh, great soundtrack, great male dancing. uh, And it's cool to see like Murray Bartlett in more things. Um, oh, and, sorry, and, 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 and one, Kumail as well. Yeah. One last thing about Kumail: this is not a criticism of him. Mm-hmm. Especially this is not a criticism of him. I think he's too buff to play Steve Banerjee. <laughs> Steve Banerjee was a chubby dude. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> Where's mm-hmm. the representation? Damn it! Um, yeah, but, he's, still, he's still got that Eternals muscle on him, probably. Yeah. So yeah. Um, but okay, so I'm interested just from the standpoint of like I want to see how they approach these these events that I am familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to see how the Ray character I mentioned is used. Um, and yeah, a thing I like about the show is the intro. I think the intro is the most seventies thing about it. Yeah, I think everything else just feels kind of like it's fine. Like in yeah. terms of the way they capture like the look and feel of the era. Um, love that intro. Um, uh, the the one thing yeah. we haven't discussed, I guess, is like the Nick Denoya of it all. Like, is Nick Denoya involved? Like, did he become involved? In the way that he does in the show, you, you mentioned like he meets a little bit differently, but like eventually like offers his services and like was he a, a critical part of the early part of Chippendales as far as you understand? Yes, so I think Nick Denoya being a big part of the show in the early episodes makes a lot of sense. Yeah, um, because you you already see like you know hints of the tensions that they are going to have. Yeah, um, yeah, Nick Denoya is a major part of this story, and um, and again fascinated by Murray Bartlett's performance. Yeah, he's great. He's great. Yeah, so. he's like the scene where he just dances alone. Like I think is like the most alluring thing. About yeah, this yeah. So love it, love it. Okay, well that's going to bring us to the end of this episode of Decoding TV. Uh, we will be back 
after the finale airs to talk about the entire series uh and at, at the very least Sedant's going to be here uh i may be here as well or Sedant will find someone else to talk about it with but we will be covering <laughs> it here on decoding tv um but look forward to that and find more episodes of the show at podcast.decodingtv.com email us at decodingtv at gmail.com let us know what you think of uh welcome to chippendales and that's going to bring us to the end of this week's episode Siddhanth, you want to tell people where they can find more of your work on the internet sure while twitter's still around you can find me at at Siddhant Adlaka. um i'm probably going to sign up for like a few social media sites a few more social media sites in the mm-hmm. meantime hive and mastodon you can find me at, at Siddhant Adlaka there too okay uh, and of course, you can find us on YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram at Decoding TV. He is Sedanthadlaka. I am David Chen. We'll see you later. <laughs>